Conversate Trans is an intergenerational podcast series exploring trans culture. The podcast, developed by the Sterlings Collective with funding from Create in collaboration with Tenny, with continued participation of the trans community, explores invisible histories and culture through intergenerational dialogue and archival materials. Having worked closely with members of the trans community over the last two years, the collective recognized the need for intergenerational dialogue and community care for trans people, and this podcast aims to be one part of this. Hi, I'm Alexandra. And I'm Jules. And this is Conversation Trans. And today we have our guest, Adeline Berry, who's an intersex trans and sex work activist. And would you like to tell us about the item you brought with you this week, Adeline? Sure. I brought a snow globe. It, it, it's, um, it's kind of hard for me to come up with an object because I've moved a lot and I've gotten rid of a lot of things down through the years. Uh, but I do have New York has it's a New York snow globe, and New York has had a place in my heart for really since I was a little kid. Um, and I started in my childhood trying to leap to leave where I grew up, which was which is Tala, which really wasn't the most accepting place for um, a trans and intersex person in the seventies and eighties. I'm not sure that it's a whole bunch more accepting now, um, but I wanted to go to New York where I saw in the movies um, people that were like me. Um, it, it, trans characters. There was a movie called Fort Apache the Bronx that um, I, I learned many years later that New Yorkers were actually protesting to st- have the movie stopped, that, that to stop them making it. But um, from my perspective, I just saw this really, really diverse, accepting place where the trans characters were treated a little more nicely than I was being treated. So I did actually finally, at the age of 21, um, get a um, Morrison visa uh, to the US and I did actually move into New York and for as long as it lasted it was everything I wanted it to be. Um, I, I moved to the US looking for acceptance and community and honestly it was stolen away from me really before I managed to find my feet but I still sort of hang on to that. I, I will watch any old movie filmed in New York in the 70s and 80s. Um, it also had Pam Greer who was uh, just astonishingly beautiful and she starts the movie off shooting a cop so um but yeah so um the new york little snow globe i have it over my mountain of odds and ends that i've accumulated and my my current menagerie i suppose so that's really where that comes from it was uh the first it, it was the place that i i knew i needed to go back then before the internet if I wanted to find other people like me and, and find community and acceptance. And in a way, I'm still kind of looking for that. Like, I mean, the world keeps shifting and the New York today is not the New York that I, that it was back then, the New York that I lived in in the early 90s. But um, the spirit of that, I'm, I'm still hunting. Like, um, before I moved back to Ireland, I'd been living in Austin, which has a pretty huge queer community and i miss having that but at the same time i really you know things are not really improving and there's advantages and disadvantages everywhere but i i still had to go for for more than myself i had to go for my family too but i still do miss 
um, I, mi- I, mi- I miss New York and I miss having that kind of community around. I still have community, but mostly we're spread out um, through, the, through the interweb. You can ask why you had to leave New York. Not that it's any of my business. Honestly, I had no real self-efficacy by the time I left my childhood. I mean, you sp- I mean, I, I'm, I'm an intersex person, so <clears throat> pardon me. Um, you, sp- you start your life from the get-go being punished for every single natural inclination, for anything you wanted for Christmas. Um, if you're being told to pick out clothes to wear, you're punished for that. So you learn to not trust any of your instincts. Like if you're picking out clothes... Picking out clothes you have no interest in and don't appeal to you will not get you beaten. Um, asking Santa Claus for things you definitely don't want is, is safe. And I essentially had no self-efficacy. Um, I had, I guess, a bit of a trigger warning coming for rape. But I had a... Um, I was put on hormone... As well as having... Uh, being uh, put under uh, surgery being put through surgeries in my in my early childhood um i was also put on hormones um pre-puberty and they really messed up a lot of things my depression got a lot worse my dysphoria got a lot worse it accelerated a more masculine um uh physical progression but also my, my sleep got really really messed up and this is something still that I have the doctors kind of wrestle with, but essentially I started sleeping about one day a week and being narcoleptic the whole time. So my sleep got really screwed and it stayed that way until I accessed HRT through the black market many, many years later, which also had its downsides too, but we'll get to that. Um, So essentially I was in New York trying to find my feet. I had uh, no self-efficacy. Um, I woke. I, basically, I would be awake six days a week, and, and I would wake up. Um, I would sleep maybe just one day a week, and the rest of the time I'm just I'm narcoleptic, which is also dangerous when you're working a lot of, you know. I grew up in construction, so I would work in and out of jobs like that, and those can be kind of dangerous if you're narcoleptic. Um, but I, I woke up to find um, a roommate uh, raping me while I slept, and. I essentially allowed myself to get really bullied into um, leaving New York and marrying them. Um, we end up having children together um, through the same circumstances. I'm not really wired to, um, I've never been particularly geared towards having uh, penetrative sex with women. It's not really my bag. I, I don't really have a lot of association with um, with whatever the surgery. I was, I was basically born with a phallus, a doctor's, modified it into a penis that I don't really have a whole bunch of attachment to and it also never had any real sensation in it um, until I started HRT. Now it has an itty bitty bit so it's really only ever been good for paying rent. Um, so yeah I end up having children and uh, outside of New York which really led to me having to go back in the closet for quite some time until my kids were 18 and then coming back out so you know I still have a little bit of bitterness about it, but, but my kids are pretty amazing. And it turns out trans people make pretty terrific parents. So, and they're, my kids are pretty awesome. So there's that, you know, there's a silver lining to, to a lot of things if you can find them. But yeah, so that's why I end up leaving New York. And so in a way it's still kind of my first love and 
you know, I will watch any movie to do it set with New York from the 70s or 80s. But, uh, Thank you for sharing that with us. I didn't know where that was going to go, but that's like not something that I myself would have like heard of very often. And just like trans people in the 90s going to New York and just what that would have been like. Because like you, I was seeing movies in New York, like I think two years ago. I watched Dog's Day Afternoon with Al Pacino, and I didn't know what it was about. It's, I just knew he wanted to, like, rob a bank. And then when his girlfriend came in, I know now that it was made by, like, a cis man, but I was just surprised by the, like, I guess, kindness, considering what I would have expected as a gift to, like, his trans girlfriend. And just, like, other media, like, I think Ugly Betty is at New York, and, I'd also, and that had, like, a trans woman as well, but this time it was by a cis woman. I was just kind of drawn to like those two pieces of media about New York as well so I understand it's like appeal yeah it's a big I mean it, it, it's kind of Austin Texas like I said is where I lived most recently before I left um, the US and it was the same thing it, it was one of those hodgepodges where everybody who didn't really fit in elsewhere moved so you end up with these really vibrant diverse communities I mean, it's kind of funny because, I mean, I f- mostly raised my children by myself. We're, we're very, very close. I've got, I've got identical twins. And they're very, they're, they're wonderful human beings, but they're kind of normies. <laughs> they're kind of cisgender straight folk. And it kind of goes to show, like, if, if, the, if, if the conservatives really, really, really hate queer so much, and hate trans people and gays, maybe they should stop having sex because my parents are kind of religious and straight and cisgendered. So I don't know. I mean, we, we seem to produce pretty normal kids and they seem to make all the queers. And a lot of the people I knew in Austin, Texas were basically queer kids who'd come from kind of from all over to, for the same reason that I moved to New York, uh, looking for community and acceptance, you know? So if you want to get rid of us, ban straight sex. <laughs> No, I know. I agree. I I totally agree. Like, if straight if people stopped having babies, we'd stop having gay. So, like, straight people are responsible for gay people. I like queer people in general, or queer LGBT people. Yeah. Well, it's kind of crazy how many of us. Because I I don't think. I mean, I know I'm not intersex because I grew up in a very very religious time and place. But. It's crazy how many of us have had very religious upbringings or have very religious parents. It's it's so common. Maybe it's just maybe it's just that there's so many religious people that we end up having religious parents too. Um, but it's uh, it's it's crazy how common that is. You you hear from LGBT people that their parents are um, tend to be religious and conservative. Yeah, I I mean. My parents, my parents, I, I are a bit messed up. Um, like my mom is not really conservative, but she kind of is in in a lot of old kind of ways. Like, like she she's eligible, like she accepts trans stuff and gay stuff and all that, but she's very uh, kind of classist, you know. Very against things like minimum wage or living wages, and very much kind of oh, you have just have to work harder kind of person. And my dad, though, was a born-again Christian. But, like, I wasn't around him much because my parents got divorced very early, so I don't know. Yeah, it's always there. I mean, I guess it's to be expected. 
maybe we need some research on uh, on how the children, how queer the children of our of atheists are compared to. Actually, I think um, wasn't there a thing about that where like um, very conservative children who grow up in very conservative homes end up developing like paraphilia because they can't express their sexuality in a normal, healthy way, or at least it's like a common occurrence. I think. What's paraphilia? Uh, like, sorry, oh, that's a good point. Like, I guess sexual attraction in weird ways, like fetishes. Oh, right. Uh, well, I guess that's probably not good in context to say that. But uh, I think I think things like furries can oftentimes come from conservative homes because <laughs> I, I think it's like this weird thing about animals. Like, they, they were allowed to kind of watch Disney cartoons and stuff like that because I don't know if this is true. I should stop talking. Well, it sounds like, I don't think we're kind of saying that we're a scientific podcast, but and obviously you don't know, so like, maybe let's move on. Oh, it's it's definitely out there, um, but it, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, so much uh, goes back to white supremacy. I mean, like, I'm an intersex person, and it, it's a lot of the surgeries are pretty equal opportunity now, but a lot of it came from eugenics where they basically wanted to show that there was a sort of uh an evolutionary theory i guess it was darwin had a theory that the more evolved the species was the bigger a divide there would be between male and female so um amongst white people there was an effort to hide traces of being intersex but it was used to show that black people or non-white people were somehow less and there's also been moves to associate, like John Money. I don't know if you know who Dr. John Money is, but basically, he doctors are faced with a bit of a conundrum with intersex people because we live in a binary society, and they get these babies that didn't neatly fit either side. So John Money came along with a theory that basically all babies have a fluid gender until they're about two. So you, you can really raise a baby in any gender, which is absolutely nonsense. But um, the surgeons performing uh, work on intersex kids haven't really got that memo. So he basically provided a solution for surgeons to go, aha, well, we've got the theory to back this up, even if it doesn't really make any sense. So then they're basically performing surgeries that basically measure the child's genitals and assign them as A or B. And then, as in my case, sometimes we're in the uh, how much we don't know. But um, definitely in my case, I got the wrong gender. Um, but also the same guy, John Money, I was reading something last night from him where he was trying to associate sexual deviancy with physical difference. But it's kind of wild that it didn't occur to John Money being the smarty pants that he is, that if there's sexual deviation amongst people that are physically different, maybe it's to do with how they were treated rather than the actual physical difference. You know, I was going to eBay the book, but it's, it's shockingly expensive. It's out of print and it's like hundreds. And I'm not, I, I feel bad enough that I've already bought one of his out of print books for 20 bucks this week. Um, there was uh, talking about, um, he was extending the the Freudian theory that the clitoris has nothing to do with sexual pleasure for women. So, and until recently, they would basically just remove it, and now they they will 
yeah, unless you're in a very good place, don't go googling intersex, intersex childhood surgeries because it's it, it it's grim. But basically, on his on Doctor John Money's word, they were just getting rid of clitorises that they the doctors decided were a little larger than they expected. So yeah, it, it's it's a whole it's a whole mess. <laughs> when did he stop practicing? Uh, uh, did. When did I start? No, when did he stop that doctor? Uh, well, he died in 2004. Ooh. So um, around 2004, <laughs> I mean, he was writing papers up until the end. Um, there, there was, I think it was 2004 that he died. Um, he had, uh, he, basically, there, there was an instance before this. There, there was twins in Canada where um, during a circumcision uh, accident one of the twins had its uh, genitals um, completely obliterated and the parents found him they'd heard him talk on tv or something so the story goes and he assured them that well it's no big deal we could just raise the child as a girl and it, it's it's called the john joan case if you're googling but um they decided the parents went along with what he said, but it was a disaster. I mean, basically, they created a trans woman and it went as poorly um, as you can expect. And shortly before Dr. John Money uh, killed himself, or, or before he died, David Reimer, who was that child, uh, he killed himself. So, um, you know, it's, it's ugly. But, yeah, we should stop listening to Dr. John Money. So I get not to like get off topic, but I was wondering, could we go back to like New York and the difference between the Irish and the New York like queer community? Was that like a huge vast difference? Yes, especially in that I honestly really didn't have a lot of community back in growing up, and I don't know whether I did know LGBT people, but we weren't really close in that way. I didn't know any out LGBT people in Tala. Um, it wouldn't probably be, it wouldn't have been safe for anyone to be out. Um, I don't know how safe it is now, but um, I didn't really have a lot of community. Um, like I knew people, but I didn't really feel that I had a sense of community. When I moved to New York, um, especially after I started, I, there was, there was this, there's a pretty legendary um, art store in New York. It's, it's no longer there, sadly but it's called Pearl Paint and it's where all the famous artists and the actors and all shopped. But uh, I got a job working there because, you know, I like to draw and paint and stuff and hey, why not? And um, it was great. I mean, I just surrounded in, as you know, I was up to my neck in, in amazing queers who could call you up at three in the morning and go out and get Indian food with them in the city that never slept. It was absolutely wonderful. There was, there was a store for drag called Lee's Mardi Gras. There was the whole floor of an entire warehouse. It was, it was honestly magical. It was kind of, it was the closest I've ever been to living inside my own head. <laughs> it was just, it was queer and vibrant and diverse and just, it, it was perfect. T to me, it was perfect. And Giuliani became mayor and kind of killed it. So, I mean, I, I went to back there in 2014 for a friend's wedding and it was a very different place. My old village, uh, my old area back down in the East Village was uh, largely a ghost town. Um, it definitely made me think about 
how you know these places are are cultural uh, melting pots where a lot of like the the beatnik poetry came out of there there's there's a, a, so much culture comes out to challenge the establishment and maybe it's a way of the establishment erases troublemaking us by basically just raising the rent in those areas or you know it, it just looked to us walking around new york the last time i was back that so many buildings were just sitting empty and it was heartbreaking really because the place was just vibrant um you know um but i mean dublin's kind of a bit the same way a lot of it's uh it feels like a lot of the the culture and the art has been driven out. I mean, it's, it's like they trade actual working class rebellious art for big pieces of public art crap that are, you know, like the spire and this, that, and other. They're just expensive, but there's literally nowhere for poor artists to work or hide or whatever, you know. Sorry, how did like living in England? Um, come about like was that kind of related to New York or uh, it came I guess in that I moved to New York because I'm intersex and trans and uh, before you came on I was telling them that um, I, I also lived in San Francisco which is where my kids are born um, I've lived there a couple of times and when I lived there in the in the mid nineties, uh, there was a dominatrix whose ads I would see, and I just thought she was cool. She just looked cool, um, and she she just she looked like a Disney princess, but in leather. Um, she's just fabulous, and um, that sounds so badass. Yeah, she's totally badass. But during COVID, uh, she was doing psychic readings. She still is doing psychic readings. So she, she's like a. a you know, psychic accordion playing dominatrix, OG. So I was like, well, who wouldn't want to get Excuse a psychic me. reading? Yeah, who who wouldn't want to get a <laughs> psychic reading from an accordion playing dominatrix? So uh, I, I <laughs> so I, I hit her up, and uh, she was very eerily on point, and she told me that uh, there was a big life changing offer coming tomorrow very soon it's on its way and uh, it, it'll be big and then the next day uh, maggie o'neill who's this uh, sex work researcher who's been around doing this for for the longest time she's this absolute angel of a human being just brilliant she's the kind of person that i still want to be when i grow up and uh, she got a hold of me and said adi check this out and it was somebody looking it was an ad looking for somebody to study older intersex people and uh, kind of like myself. So I, the, the closing date for this post was the very next day. So I actually managed to get my application in. I interviewed and here I am in uh, West Yorkshire in Huddersfield. And that's how I got here. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know... It, it's kind of funny that there's a guy 
who grew up on my road, all I wanted to be was normal. I, I, I was a very devoted Catholic child. I like my, my, some, most of my earliest surviving artwork is, uh, is of Catholic stuff, of religious stuff. And all I want to do is be normal. No, no kid wants to stand out. No kid doesn't want to fit in. And I really didn't. I mean, I fit in probably as na- well now as I did back then. But there was a kid in my class who was always popular. And he always fit in. And recently we've stopped talking. Like, not that long ago, he, I'd shared something by Gemma O.D. about... Uh, she shared this ridiculous headline on Twitter. So I shared it on Facebook, kind of laughing at it, that Birmingham is a Muslim area now and it used to be Irish. And I'm kind of like, well, what? There's an area in England that isn't Ireland that used to be Irish, but now it's run by Muslims that aren't? Like, what? You know, it's just a ridiculous headline. So he basically started attacking me on Facebook. And this is a person I've known since I was three who always fit in. And... He was telling he he was asking me, well, have you ever been to Birmingham? And I'm like, well, no, but the logistics of, of of keeping everybody out who's not Muslim just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Like, why why wouldn't you want non-Muslims to come shop in your store? So while we're having this argument on Facebook, I wrote to basically every Muslim organization in Birmingham, and they're all super happy. They're like, yeah, come and stay. We'll show you around. So I'm writing back, going, apparently you can go there if you're not. Muslim and that's not true and then most recently uh, that ta- we end up parting friends um, after that tampon ad that came on TV and a lot of people complained about it and they took it off and it was a two minute commercial but basically he attacked me over that and, and I think the whole time if I wasn't trans and intersex maybe I'd be this guy because that's all I wanted I wanted my, to, to get along well with my parents and fit in and no, I end up being intersex and trans and not really fitting in a lot of places. But I've learned to be grateful for it, you know. And it, it's 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 a never like my wife was saying earlier. It's it's a never ending adventure, you know. And right now the adventure has us here in a uh, in Huddersfield. But uh, yeah, it, it keeps life interesting, I suppose. Yeah, that is like I'm just trying to think because. It is weird how people who, who seem to kind of be the most privileged are the ones who like seem the most unhappy as well and the most like angry and Yeah, you see, I, I think it's a like right again, right before we left, my wife was uh we, we were both working as, as sex workers in Dublin and then we were evicted by the lovely Gardi. And I was unable to find any other type of work. It, basically, um porn sales paid for my undergrad i wouldn't have been able to finish uh college without it but my wife was working as a kind of office administrator and she had a boss that was really really horrible to her and this woman really had everything she's i mean kind of i mean if i could trade places physically with her i would in a heartbeat and she she's uh like just normal looking cisgender woman um you know uh Kind of everything's worked out for her, but she had she had a day there where she couldn't find her lunch and was emailing corporate. And you know, there's the sandwich thief. My lunch has been stolen, and I'm kind of like, maybe you just have to have some really terrible days to appreciate the good ones. I mean, like she was talking about how this is the worst day ever because she couldn't find her sandwich, and I'm like, if I couldn't find my sandwich, I just assume I ate it and go like, what's wrong with me? Like I've just devoured my lunch. I don't even remember. But I wouldn't call it my worst day. I've definitely had worse days than not being able to find a sandwich. I'd say, like, 
the worst I would do is like if it was like a really bad week, that might be like the cherry on top. But like if it was like, you know, ninety nine percent of the time, it's like just go buy a new sandwich or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got to kind Make of, do. Yeah, like put things in perspective. You need some good days and some bad days. So I, I don't know, I've kind of become, I've come to be appreciative. I mean, I, I think it made me a better parent, you know. Um, I, I more or less, I was not close to my parents. My, my Basically, when the doctors handed an intersex child to my mom, they handed it to, they handed me to a very damaged woman i mean she grew up in 1940s 1950s rural ireland so things were not ideal i mean it was just about 10 years after they rolled back women's rights drastically in this environment she grew up in so there was a lot of abuse and doctors handed this intersex child to her so she was repulsed i was a curse on the family um she'd refer to me as an abomination and the house you know with me in it was called a den of iniquity um that's how she'd refer to it so what does that mean can i ask a den of iniquity uh basically a a house of sin because i was under a roof and she she did not want to live in a den of iniquity you know so we've never really i kind of forgot where i'm going with this but like uh yeah, we were never close. But, I, oh, I, I guess, so I, I end up really kind of having to be mother and father to myself, really, which I guess was good practice for when I ended up being a single parent and raising babies by my own son. But I knew a lot of what not to do, I suppose. That just made me think about sometimes you hear about people who are like, whose parents may not have been the most loving. And then there's like a fear, would they do the same thing or they would just be like repeating the path? Well, I didn't, yeah, you don't often hear about being like, oh, I knew not what to do, I suppose. Yeah, that's the thing. And I was talking to one of my younger brothers there because I think I got it worse than... My older brother and I, I think we got it worse than the two that came after us. I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah... My, my talk, I was talking to one of my younger brothers, and I, I, I think we've definitely succeeded in, in breaking those cycles. I mean, I'm very close to my kids. I, I think I, I wish I was half as cool as they are and half as smart. They're already better traveled than me. They're better read, and I'm just I'm so proud of them. They're just better, stronger people with more self-efficacy, you know? Uh, you know, I knew what not to do. How old are your kids, can I ask? Not to be, like, too snoopy. Oh, <laughs> I don't care. Um, they'll be 26 next month. Oh, right. So they're like close yeah. to our age, actually. Yeah, they came pretty early. I mean, it's one of those things that derailed my plans of finding a rich old man in New York to pay for my surgeries. And yeah. uh, instead, I ended up in the suburbs, um, which is where no queer person wants to be ever, um, raising babies. but. You know, when it was no longer about me, I had to grow for the kids. So I, it's made me, it made me a stronger person than I would be otherwise, because it wasn't about me anymore. It was about these two little tiny midgets, little tiny babies that I was in, you know, responsible for that I had to get grown, and I needed to grow up in a hurry and forget about myself for a bit. So. 
you know, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be here otherwise. Well, it just sounds lovely when you like are talking about them because like you obviously love them so much and that's not something all children have had. No, I definitely don't. I mean, my, my parents are, they're pretty elderly now, but they've cut off contact. I don't know who else they've cut off contact with. Definitely me. Um, so I, I've, but we really weren't close by that point anyway. We'd run out of things to talk about. I mean, we were down to, I, I was able to say to my dad, I was able to ask him, had he seen any good movies lately? And then we didn't really have that because he just become so angry and so when they cut off contact, there wasn't really anything left. And uh, my my kids, yeah, they're my my kids are so cool. <laughs> like I, I just think they're they're awesome. I'm so proud of them. They're just good, solid, just good people. They're good and they're smart, and I'm so proud of them. Yeah. And I did that, you know. <laughs> like, well, now Alexander, would you like to say something? I've been like accidentally asking all the questions. <laughs> I was just saying, I love Aaron. Talk about your kids, like just. There's so much love there, and I don't know. Um, I guess because parenthood, when you're trans, it's, well, I guess for me, uh, transitioning and not having kids yet, it's kind of one of those things where it's like very big, unlikely area to naturally, I guess, to have my own biological children. So I, I don't know if I even want kids or like, if it'd be even possible to raise kids now with the the world kind of going the direction it is and shrinking middle class and all that. But um, I don't know. I guess it's kind of hopeful or something. It's kind of inspiring. Well, that's the thing too. I mean, we get uh, Mother's Day cards from sex workers, you know. Um, we've ended up adopting a lot of um, non-biological kids um, along the way. And and a lot of us kind of, you know, we need parents. We need, if our biological parents aren't there, it's uh, what Armistad Mopan said, and I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm not going to phrase this right or, or do him any justice, but basically when, you're, when your biological family fails you, then you have your logical family, you know? I mean, you know, your chosen family, you know? And there's always that, you know? I, I don't know that I would have had kids by choice, but I, I do think it saved my life. Um, you know, uh, and it was just kind of wild because I, I was never able to do anything. Like I, if I throw trash, if I throw a piece of garbage into the can and it actually goes in, I do the happy dance because I don't expect it to. I don't, when, <laughs> when, you, when you grow up being told everything you do is wrong, you kind of carry that with you, which it's kind of weird to be working on my PhD now and, my supervisor telling me like, cause I've got little addies on both shoulders telling me how shit I am all day long and I, they, and they never shut up. And then your supervisor telling you, no, this is really good. And you know, it's, it's a little confusing, you know, after doing, I, I kind of in a similar space right now. Cause I'm, I, I'm actually just back in college getting my, my leave and start equivalent at level six. Um, it's only like another month now and I'll have it. And I, I don't know. It's, it's mad to kind of, when you've been told that you can't accomplish things or whatever for so long and then you kind of get to that point where like the support I guess for me it's like Jules and everyone in Sterling's uh they're like my queer family and they're like yeah you really just I don't know I don't know how to say it but it's just it can help so much having like that support and finding it and having those queer families and that logical family like you said (laughs) sorry (laughs) I'm getting all sentiments 
Oh no, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's wild. I would see my kids. I mean, there was like, there's nothing they couldn't do, you know, like being the responsible parent, I try to do like guy stuff. I try to take them fishing. I'm, I'm a vegan. So this is a terrible, oh, yeah. a, a, a terrible vegan story, <laughs> but I took him fishing, you know, which cause isn't a good vegan thing, but it was before I was vegan, but I was trying to do it. I'm like, well, what will their dad do? They do stuff like this. And I'm, I'm so shit. Like I caught power lines. I caught some angry man. I caught a car that was driving by. Like it was just, it was just, it wasn't working out. I did. I don't really do outdoors. Like, I've been locked inside. Even though I caught COVID last March, I, I've been really kind of. I'm one of those people that's really enjoying not leaving the apartment. Um, but my kids, the first time they cast a line, they caught a bloody big fish. Like and just boom, like you're supposed to. And when I was playing darts with them, because again, you know, responsible parent, you know, they're very little. And they were like, why don't we just throw them all right into the middle? Or look, we're making them stick into the end of each other. And I'm like, because it's bloody hard and I can barely hit the board. And like, look, it's easy. And I took them to the gun range because again, you know, responsible parent. And they're like, I'm draw I'm trying to just hit the damn piece of paper and they're drawing smiley faces on it. And then it hit me that they've never been told they couldn't do anything. Whereas we were surrounded by freaking creeps, um, a home and in school that basically just, I mean, like when you're a kid, they just, the, the teacher just kind of sucks the cruel ones. If you're lucky enough to have good ones, that's great. But we really didn't have a lot of those. It's just, but, and, but as an adult out back and here's full grown adults who go to work every day and humiliate six year olds. Like, what is your problem? You know, and you're hanging out with a bunch of other adults who just kind of, clearly hate children and then you work with them and you're you know i had one teacher tell one of the kids in my class that they would uh um never grow up to be anything more than a bin man which is a pretty damn important job like what are we going to do with our trash i mean they're they're more important than middle management mm -hmm. and uh they pointed to me and said i would never even be good enough to be a bin man you know which is not true i think i'm good enough to be a bin person but um yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I did horribly in school. I did horribly in primary and secondary. And like I left, all I could do was draw and write. I, I knew I was stupid. and it, but So I went back to school after I returned to Ireland. Um, returning home, there was a lot of memories that I, I, I knew was going to be rough. Um, there was a lot of things. It, it was worse than I'd expected. So I was basically suicidal after coming home. A lot of things just came over me like a giant wave. And I was referred to a, to a surgeon who, or to a psychiatrist who used to be the head psychiatrist for the gender National Gender Service, uh, who refused to see me because I'm trans and intersex and referred me to Lachlan Sound. So I went back to college because I didn't really know what else to do. You know, it's like kill yourself or go figure out how not to. So I went back to college and I'm still waiting um, to be called from Lachlanstown it's been like three since since July 2017 so it's been a while so you know if I get my PhD before they call me it will be officially quicker to become a doctor if you're trans in Ireland and be seen by one but um oh my god you're right like oh my god I never thought of it like that yeah it's wild isn't it uh, but it's also too like I mean I know as a trans person and sex worker I am always like Barely a day goes by that you're not trying to talk somebody out of killing themselves. And here's a psychiatrist. It's actually his job. 
and I call him up and he's like, nope. I mean, if somebody showed up at your door and said, I'm, I'm suicidal, you'd be like, come in, have a cup of tea, and try to talk them out of it, get them... Like, and you presumably, you're not a psychiatrist. I'm not. Um, but this guy is a psychiatrist. He, he He's a prominent Irish psychiatrist. And he's like, oh, what, you want to kill yourself? Well, <laughs> get on a four-year waiting yeah. list for Lachlanstown. And it, it's, it's, it's... Yeah, it, it's, ma- it's so mad because it's like, okay, I have a problem. Here's my problem. Here's the solution. Just, like, sign off the paperwork. That's all... That's what being trans, like, it's so straightforward. It's not like other issues, like, you know, people go to the doctor and they don't know what's wrong with them, their pains or something like that, where you have to find out what's wrong, or even traditional therapy, where it's like, you're going because you are have um, difficulties and you kind of need to work through them. It's literally just, you know what's wrong already and you know how to solve it, right? Yeah, this is, honestly, I just wanted a prescription for antidepressants. Like, I, I'd, I'd taken them in the past. They didn't really oh, work sorry. out. Oh, no, no, you're fine. And uh, I was just basically hoping they write me a script and give me some antidepressants, you know? So when I came here, um, you know, I get my ups and downs, but I I, uh, I called the doctor and I wanted to have a conversation about antidepressants. And I was prepared for a fight. I think when you're trans, you're always prepared for a fight because yeah. you spent your life being attacked and it doesn't seem to stop. You just kind of get better at it and more resilient. So, um, yeah, I called I called, my, I called the doctor here and uh, their response was, um, yeah, you can pick him up with boots in a few days. And I'm like, wait, what? Come back. I want to fight. You know, and they're like, also, they're, uh, also, do you want a therapist? You know, I'm like, okay, sure. Why not? You know, and it's crazy because I was pretty nervous coming over here because we all know it's the the hub of transphobia these days. But honestly, on a day-to-day basis, I experience a lot less of it. You know, um, in Dublin, <laughs> I was having like, I I went to I was doing outreach, uh, sex work outreach before I left, and I got my shoes. I, I wore through the soles of a pair of boots. And I brought them in, and the guy who I'm paying to resole my bo- resole my boots told me the problem with Ireland today is that people can't be transphobic to our face. <laughs> I'm like, does this count? I mean, my taxi driver turned around uh, in front of my wife and my friend and said to me, he doesn't believe in abortion, but he thinks I should be aborted. I mean, people would say things literally every day. And here in Brexit Central, this is supposed to be the hub of, of transphobia, no, I've been here since September. Nobody's actually said anything. I haven't found one person's even being rude yet. I mean, okay, we're in lockdown, and maybe after lockdown, um, all the transphobic people come out. But to date, um, anytime I've been out and about, are going into Leeds. I mean, we're in between Leeds, Manchester, Sheffield. You know, um, when we've gone into those cities, uh, nobody's been. Everybody's been perfectly nice. Honestly, it's it's wild, and they throw therapists at you. So, you know, it's a, I'm just imagining the literal it's, it's um, interpretation of drone therapist. <laughs> yeah, I would build like one of those t-shirt cannons that they have in the US where they fire shirts over stadiums, <laughs> except they just fill it with therapists. That's what Ireland needs, especially with COVID. Yeah. yeah. But now they just need enough, ter- they, need to, need, they need to make mental health education free so we have enough people to light to fill those cannons to fire them at people, you know. Because that's the thing. When when I interviewed for 
I was trying to figure out before I got this position how to fund a master's in counseling because it's needed amongst our communities. I mean, amongst trans people, amongst um, amongst sex workers, like we need we need counselors who it'd be lovely to be able to just go to a to a counselor to a sex worker, trans person, and, and, and not that I, I'm there thinking I'll be the best one ever. But maybe I could be one of the least shit ones, you know. And I've had a lot of conversations with therapists that claim to specialize in these issues. And some of the things I've heard, uh, one person who's a, a practicing counselor told me in the US, bear in mind, I'd just come from America and I'd been dealing with um, trans care over there for quite some time, uh, told me that in the US, um, men are getting surgically getting breasts vaginas and even clitorises they are they are and i'm like oh for fuck's sake no that's really not what's happening um that basically i couldn't get health insurance in the u.s because i'm trans um you know and basically what people are doing is going down to each other's basements and injecting each other with industrial grade silicone and dying horribly that's the reality and this person didn't want to hear it. And I'm kind of like, where did you get your PhD if you don't know that the penis and the clitoris are exactly the same thing other than the placement of the urethra? And she want to fight me on that one too. And I'm like, I'm intersex. I'm, I'm here for that fight, you know? But yeah, it's wild. There's a lot of people who maybe shouldn't be doing that for a living. Right. And then are not enough people who should be. Where was this professional working? In quotes, professional. In Dublin. Oh, gross. And, oh, I've, yeah, I've, I've heard... I've some I've I've heard some doozies down through the years. But uh I'm supposed to meet a new one in April. They have a thing here. I don't know whether it works for Ireland or not, but it's called pink therapy. <clears throat> and and I, I feel for myself it's a bit of a needle in the haystack kind of a thing, looking for someone. Mm-hmm. So I entered Pink Therapy, the website, I went on there and found somebody who looks like they're a really good fit and they're relatively close by. And literally seconds, so I'm thoroughly impressed so far. You know, um, I know there's a lot of talk about England dismantling the HSE and turning to American-style privatized healthcare, and it's going to be a tragedy because the NHS so far, in my experience, I'm okay. Massive wait list for like waiting times for um, an endocrinologist and trans care. Of course, it's it's not that different from Ireland. Um, but everything else is pretty, pretty great. I gotta say, and of course, this isn't an attack on, on frontline workers. They're fabulous, but the systems uh, a lot of times could could definitely do with some improvement. I, I feel like we definitely shouldn't be looking to America for anything in terms of healthcare. No, I mean that's the thing. That's a little sad that like I mean like I miss swimming. Like I'm I'm not going to go swimming in Ireland because I'll be murdered by like knife wielding seven year olds. You know. Um, I well, besides the fact that it's too damn cold, but in, in Austin, it was such a hub that any time I went swimming, like there, there's a big natural springs in the middle of the city, and any time I went swimming, there was uh, it was all the queers I knew, all the trans people, the sex workers, the tattooers, every the drag queens, everybody was out just swimming, and it was great. Nobody really cared. Even our own pool, I we had a pool in our like in our condo that i you know i miss i'm not really swimming more like floating i, I don't swimming makes it sound like exercise um 
which isn't really what I was doing, bobbing around. But uh, I miss all that. But at the same time, I feel like we were right to leave because I'm not getting younger. And it's basically, you know, researching and chasing after uh, the kind of care I'm going to need when I'm older, you know. It's It's sad, really. Because America is full of really wonderful people, and there's a lot. I, I feel in a lot of ways it's culturally, especially for queers, much further ahead. I mean, it was illegal to be gay when I left Ireland. Yeah, you know. So it's uh. I mean, I think we're coming up last ten minutes, and Lilith would like us to ask you a question about: Do you have any nuggets of wisdom for trans folks? early on in their journey or anything to say to a younger intersex person talking about like Asian wisdom for him I'd say believe in yourself I mean I I wish I wish at this point I could travel back in time to little me because it's kind of crazy to leave Ireland to come back and realize that little me was so right about so many things I just been taught to to disbelieve myself. And I think it's one of the wonderful things now about the internet that people can reach out. Because when I was a kid, I didn't find another trans person or or intersex person until um, I grew up, like I said, in a construction family. And it was when I was 10, I was, you know, uh, the builders would, uh, would read the tabloids during tea break. And it was when the tabloids were destroying Caroline Cossey's life and dragging her through the mud talking about what they would do to somebody like that if they got their hands on them not realizing i was sitting there in front of them and i was one of those people so i always carried it around with me but now everybody can reach out and find other people just like us on the internet but i believe in yourself and know you're right and if you're surrounded by shit adults you know it's hard when that's all you know but but trust in yourself and find find your tribe you know find your tribe i mean you know, I'm I'm constantly hearing centrists tell us that we need more Nazis in our bubbles, you know. But I don't think anybody's ever telling Nazis they need more trans people in their bubbles. I don't know why it's always on us. And, you know, I, I tattooed in the Bible Belt for a long time and worked as a sex worker there too. Um, I've had enough conversations with Nazis and they're not really going anywhere. You're spinning your wheels. Uh, amongst our own community is where, you know, we find... We can build wisdom and knowledge, and that's that's what's important. Find your tribe and believe in yourself, I suppose. It's not that profound, but... I know, but it's still, like, a difficult thing to do, so to be, like, reminded of it is good, I think. This is true. And what's it even like to have a conversation as a sex worker with someone who would be very much, like, in their Nazi mindset? Because I can imagine that would be easy. Honestly... So much feels like divide and conquer. Um, it, it, our shop was a particularly interesting place because one, it was very rural Texas and then I was there. So we would get the people would come in anyway. So we had like KKK people coming in and then black drag queens coming in, you know, just so there, there, there was a lot of, there'd be a lot of tension at first. And after a little bit of time, people would get a sore getting tattooed and the boundaries would fall down and people would start talking to each other and they'd find all this common ground and become best of friends, even though they came from very diverse places. I really don't believe you can, like you see those stuff on the internet where you can talk KKK people into, you know, 
quitting for life. They don't because then they're just they're always going to find the people who are like them and the people they fit with, and those people are going to have those views. But I think if we could find amongst ourselves and break down these barriers, because these barriers don't don't serve us. They they serve people way higher up. They they serve basically capitalism. It's all divide and conquer. But you know, it's uh, yeah. No reason we can't all get along just because we don't. God. I suppose on a human level, yes. Just when you think about the things that they might believe, it got a bit like weary, but yeah. Well, well, they would say things like people would say things to me that basically this is what should happen to all trans people, but then they'd make an exception for me. And there's always an exception. They'll find a person okay. who's that they, that they relate mm-hmm. to. Like, for example, um, a white supremacist that I tattooed. Because, I don't know, it's it's like you, they come in, they want to get a tattoo, you don't say anything until you start tattooing them. And then ask them, like, really? You wouldn't let Beyonce sit on your face? Like, why not? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and, you know, pick, pick at their, you know. So relatable. <laughs> yeah, pick at their, you know, their beliefs and whatnot. But so this, this guy said, uh, would you tattoo my son-in-law? And I'm like, yeah, I suppose I tattooed you. And his son-in-law is a, a black guy that he's really close to. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. None of it holds up. I mean, it, it, it's a mixed bag. They'll just make exceptions for the ones that don't fit their stereotype. So people would make exceptions for me in rural Texas and go, "Well, you're different." I'm like, "But I'm not, though." And you don't know because you haven't met everyone. You just believe in the nonsense you hear, you know. It sounds very much like you know, like the camp gay, quote unquote, compared to like. Gay people who don't show it in your face. But yeah, but then they really get along. Like that kind of argument. Yeah, but then they really get along with the camp gays too. I mean, yeah, of course they do. We, we had camp gays are well, all gays are well. Yeah, I mean, we had a literally <laughs> great until approval otherwise. Like there's drag queens that are um, big in Vegas right now that weren't then, and they were hanging out in my tattoo shop, getting tattooed when there was a bunch of literal hillbillies in the next room. And it was tense, but they start, you know, the drag queens are walking past, going to the bathroom, and what are you getting? I'm getting this. And then they're like, they start talking, and and then next thing, you're all buddies. And it was tense at first, and this would happen over and over and over again. But then before you know it, and these were, (laughs) these were very, and on top of that, a lot of those hillbillies just have sex with each other anyway. They just don't call it a, they just don't call it gay for whatever reason, but, but they do. I mean, it was a small town in Texas called Bastrop, and we used to refer to it as Brokeback Bastrop because was a lot of that going on it was really really obvious you know it's uh their wives uh and girlfriends would talk about it and uh you know it's sad really that there's a book that just came out i think it's called still straight and it's basically about rural men who have sex with men but they do not identify as gay because gay is effeminate and they're very masculine because they do all these stereotypically masculine things so therefore they cannot be gay and that's not really how it works but yeah it, it is what it is yeah it's, uh, we're an interesting species. Yeah, but even all those like Oscar movies are a lot about these masculine men kind of grappling with their sexuality. And if you like Google any of the ones that are acclaimed, they're kind of like these more macho men. But I guess why would they want to watch like good actors like do, do stuff that they're already doing and like grappling with? Yeah, and I guess they got an hour and a half to tell a story, so they may as well tell it badly, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, I guess. We're coming to the end of our conversation. Would you like the same thing before we wrap up? Well, uh, I'd like to say thank you for having me. I, I really, I, I, this is such an exciting um, project and, and it's really, really interesting. 
I'll confess that I actually haven't listened to the earlier ones yet because I really am 14 hour days of work. <laughs> but I, I will, I promise, and I'm excited to talk into them. And thank you very much for okay. having me on. Thank you for talking to us. It's been lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, yes, you can. Well, like, very interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> if people. Uh, listeners are interested we will have links to our social media around we have twitter instagram and facebook we will be here next time next week probably thank you so much for listening bye